Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast. This is episode number 39, and as always, this is Dan Gingas. I'm joined with my partner in crime, Dan Moriarty. What's going on, Dan? Hey, Dan. How you doing, mate? Doing awesome. Ready for another exciting episode. Tonight, we have a great guest, and I had a chance to meet her in person recently at the Social Media Corporate Summit in New York. Her name is Kimmery Matthews, and she is the Senior Vice President of Social Care and Capabilities for Wells Fargo. Welcome, Kimmery. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we're very excited to have you on the show. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure, absolutely. I started my career in product management in the dot-coms, that first wave before the very first bubble. And it was a lot of fun and I learned a lot, but I think after that bubble passed, I I really craved working on something that was meaningful and important because I, at that time, there was a lot of products and things that we were working on and they, they weren't always focused on customer value. And I thought to myself, what's more important than anything than your money? Now, the fact is, I think your love life might be more important than your money, but a person's financial life is just really core to their sense of security and peace of mind. So I was drawn to financial services and thought it was an exciting place to go. And then I think what to bring me to social, I was working on the a voice of the customer program for Wells Fargo around the time that social media started to become important and big in the late 2000s. And I noticed, you know, we were working on all these surveys and focus groups and gathering all this feedback from customers that we would then take and slice and dice and try to figure out what to do. And suddenly all this feedback was available in social media where our customers were going and talking. And it also had this other interesting quality where you could you could talk back and tell the customer that you heard them and what you were doing. So I was immediately excited about this and started our very first Twitter handle for Wells Fargo, which was our social care focused handle. And then that began my journey. I haven't looked back since and I've been focused on building out our social care and maturing it at Wells Fargo since 2009. That might make you one of the original gangsters, the OGs (laughs) of social care. You, you said a lot of great stuff there, Kimri, but before we go too deep into it, um, I know some people probably won't be US-based and so maybe won't be familiar with Wells Fargo. Do you want to take 30 seconds to just quickly explain kind of who you guys are and what you do? Yes. Wells Fargo is actually one of the America's oldest companies. We have a history of over 160 years. We actually started transporting money and letters with the Pony Express across the country at a time before there were trains and roads. And luckily, that technology was replaced with better technology. And But I, our core values are still the same. We want to be where our customers need us and, and, and in, the way, in the ways that they need us. And today, we serve more than one in three U.S. households. We have the largest U.S. retail store network with over 6,000 stores. We have 13,000 ATMs. And we serve over 27 million digital users of, of our digital products. So 
we have a wide range of ways that customers can can use us and, and talk to us and social is the the newest one perfect great and now the obvious question to start with well two obvious questions from me one is what is and capabilities in your title what does that refer to and then once you get through that talk to me about 2009 and what it was like to launch a social care handle back in the day okay the and capabilities refers to the fact I have a platform team as well as the social care operations. And our platform team manages the social relationship platform that we do all of our social care on. The platform also is serviced, uh, serves our marketing team for publishing and engagement. So we have some, uh, some broader scope in terms of how we enable the, the enterprise to connect with customers and social. So we've called it out separately because the tools and the infrastructure that you need to have in place in order to deliver great customer service as well as marketing and customer engagement are a really important factor to an enterprise success in social. To answer your second question, what was it like in 2009? Sometimes I, I look back at that and I think that it was it was amazing that, because we really didn't know what we were doing. Social media was was really different than other channels that we had approached. And I would say that when I look back at the, the volumes were just tiny compared to today, which is interesting. And we didn't ha know who to put on it. In fact, I originally staffed that first Ask Wells Fargo handle with individuals from my voice of the customer team, my, my market research team, who were not really bankers or agents. That didn't last. We quickly realized we wanted to get the operations aligned with customer service. But when I look back at the tools that we were using and the way we, you know, we wanted to record and capture all of the customer interactions, but we didn't really have a good technology to do it. So we would copy and paste every interaction into a SharePoint site and then give it little criteria ratings so that we could do measurement on it. I mean, there was a lot of manual the duct tape and shoelace kinds of approaches that we took to it because not all those technologies and tools were there. But so it was it was really fun because we had to figure it out. But I, I'm really glad we've matured past that time. So, Kimberly, kind of combining those those two answers and, and staying on the capabilities track, can you tell us a little bit about what went into choosing the technology? What kinds of things were you looking for? What were some of the requirements that were really important to you? So with our current technology, what was really important for us was that marketing and and customer service could be on the same page. It be, in the very early days, we were doing our work on separate systems and that created some confusion and overlap. It wasn't always clear if the marketing team had responded to something and the customer service team, that would not be ideal, obviously. And it was hard to see what the other team was doing. So we decided that having a coordinated enterprise approach in social media was a, a real priority. And I think it was a great decision for us to prioritize that because as we all know, social media, it's, it's this channel where all of this activity that goes on between customer service and marketing and corporate communications and HR, it's all happening together in, in one place. It's whereas in other channels, it happens more separately. And so you don't always see it side by side. So being able to orchestrate that was what drove a lot of our requirements. Another thing that drove a lot of our requirements was around the, the fact that Wells Fargo is a very large company 
and we have over 80 different lines of business, which means we could get a question about anything. And there's really no other customer service team that I can think of in our business that can handle questions about absolutely anything. So the need to be to triage questions to the right person and get the answer back in an efficient manner was another really important requirement for us when we were looking at technologies. Could this application allow us to bring a lot of different teams onto the tool and send questions to the right team, even being able to leverage artificial intelligence within the tool. So if a customer were to mention that they they had a question about their mortgage, how could we immediately get that question to the social care banker from the mortgage team to answer it rather than have to go through some manual triage process, which would slow it down or possibly make the customer talk to a a middleman that, that really wasn't there to serve them. So being able to handle the, that, the complexity of our triage was another really important requirement. Another fantastic answer. There's something you said at the start I want to jump to, which is how the technology needed to serve both marketing but also care. Mm-hmm. And it's something that Dan and I and uh, numerous guests have kind of talked about is this middle ground that social care exists in between marketing and between you know, traditional care organizations. Uh-huh. Uh, Obviously, it sounds like you, you guys addressed it by having a consolidated technology, but I'm curious about kind of organizationally, like, do you guys have any responsibility for marketing? And if not, how do you guys ensure that you, you know, you're all on the same page for the customer? The, the marketing team, it leads the governance around social media at Wells Fargo. And however, we are not in the same organization. The marketing team, the social marketing team, there's actually been some changes in how we're organized around marketing lately, where they're, where they're, we used to have a dedicated social marketing team. We're now folding the social marketing functions back into the actual traditional marketing functions. So they're not separate. And I also think that same trend is going on on the care side. You know, we originally built out social care and it, it stood alone apart in some ways from the the main customer service channels. And I think that we're now moving towards trying to integrate that as well because the future is not that social is separate. It's really that there's a lot of different digital text-based tools like chat and SMS and social, and they, they really need to be treated together and holistically. Is it, is it just kind of breaking out those digital channels then? You're not, you're not kind of talking about a full integration across a contact center where an agent's answering a phone call one second, responding to a tweet the next, and then sending a piece of mail out. Um, well, is, it, is it really chat, social, text? Is that kind of what you're looking at? Well, I think, and we're not enabled this way at, at this time, but I think that the way that customer service has been traditionally organized in a very siloed approach where you would train an agent to work the phone and just the phone, or you, or you train an agent to do chat and just chat. I don't think that that's the way we're going to be doing it in the future, because I think customers sometimes want to move between channels and you need to, even with social, we see our customers sometimes ask, can you call me? Or here's my email address. And you know, as we make chat more available, I think they're going to want to do chat. And so we need to be able to enable these agents to start on one channel and then move with the customer to the other channel that they want to go to. Because if they want to go to another channel and then they have to start all over with a new agent, that's not the best customer experience. So I think 
that omni-channel customer service view where you you train the, the agents to, to use the channel that makes the most sense for the customer at the given point of their service journey is really important. I also feel like the way we've structured customer service to be focused on first contact resolution. I think that that was a really, obviously a great metric and it drove a lot of, of customer success, but I also feel like it's a little bit outdated because it, it has in it inherently this idea that you're, you should, without doubt, fix this customer's problem on this call. And that might even mean making that customer wait on hold for 10 minutes while you do that. But if you can get it fixed, then that's success. I think that social introduces this whole idea of asynchronous communication where a customer can start a conversation and then stop and move on with their day and then pick it up later. And the same for the, the agent. The agent, if they have to do some research, they can say, they can tell the customer, here, I'm going to do some research. I'll get, I, I'll let you know, or I'll message you as soon as I'm done in 10 or 15 minutes. And they do that. And it might even make sense to start on the phone and then say, I'll, I'll follow up with a text or I'll follow up in, in Facebook Messenger, you know, depending on the customer's preferences. So I, I think there needs to be a lot more fluidity in terms of how we actually use these different channels. Absolutely. And I'm curious as to your thoughts about, so you talked a lot about the importance of training the folk to be able to go across the channels. But I think, um, you know, we all know that the complexities of customer journeys and how it doesn't all fit, say, nicely within a, a shift of an individual agent. And so I think even outside of training, there's a huge technology component there, right? Like knowing that Kimmery called in and spoke to Dan Gingis at three o'clock and then Dan Moriarty has to follow up at 11 o'clock. How do you make sure that your technology systems are kind of keeping up with your training, if you will, so that you have that, that complete picture of your interactions with the different customers? Well, having a complete picture, that omni-channel view of all of the customer interactions is really critical for the success of, of the future customer care organizations. I think we all know that. Some companies that have legacy systems like large enterprises like Wells Fargo, we're working through that, but we are trying to get there. When I think about what social is doing, though, I feel like the social messaging platforms are leapfrogging. And you know, if you think about Facebook Messenger, the, the moment that a customer messages a business, that conversation starts that's going to go on forever. And if you go back to that conversation, whether it's a different agent or not, there's all the context of the prior conversation. So I think that social, like social messaging there is sets the paradigm and, it's, and it actually gives it to the business without the business having to figure it out on their own because it's just there and it's there in resident in the social messaging platform. The business then needs to take that and, and have, I think, uh, the, the agent desktop needs to be a view where there is also that same idea, a single ongoing conversation with customer where you see it streamed in, in the same way you would see it in, in a social messaging where the phone call happened at this time with this agent and this is what was said. The chat, here's the chat, here's the social. And you see this one conversation thread and it doesn't matter so much if it was an email or a phone call because those are just the ways that you're communicating. The, the conversation should all just be one long conversation with the customer. Yeah, I think you're talking about the holy grail of social care right there. Which definitely sounds great. I think I'm talking about the holy grail with customer service. For sure. Absolutely right. So I want to go back to something that you said earlier as well around, and, and Dan touched on it too, but, the, but this idea of training across multiple mm -hmm. areas of the business. I think that a lot of large companies struggle with this because 
traditional call centers, as, as you mentioned, are set up very siloed. And, and that can be by channel, but it's also often by product. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, uh, you know, the banking people over here and the credit card people over here, et cetera. So mm-hmm. how do you find the people that you're able to make a jack of all trades? Are they all internal hires or are you looking for different skill sets from the outside? So we aren't making jack of all trades agents because it's really, it's not going to be possible. There is deep training in different product lines that you need to go through. What I would put it this way, the main social care team handles a lot of general questions and some certain products that we are very well trained in. But we also operate a, what I can call a center of excellence model, where I think I said it earlier, a little bit about it earlier, but the best customer service comes when you get a customer to the right agent right away. And so what we have done is we've built out satellite social care teams that sit within the lines of business. We only have a few. It's still in its early stages of the model. But for example, our home lending team, we have a social care team that sits within their organization. But we have built out the tools, the capabilities, they work on our tools. We've built out the processes so that they don't have to figure it all out on their own. And then we've also built in the the artificial intelligence to our tools. So if we can tell that the customers asked a question about a mortgage or a loan, it goes straight to their queue and they answer it. But then we also have oversight so we can ensure that there is a consistent and high quality experience. We just brought on, we're, we're actually in the process of bringing on another team over in our wealth management organization. And I think there's a lot of other great opportunities for us to bring on a student lending team or a military banking team where with people that are very immersed in that customer base and that product set. So I I actually don't believe in a jack of all trades social care organization. I think it's great to have a main hub right now that can set the tone and, and oversee the channel. But ultimately, kind of getting to what I was saying earlier, ultimately, I think social needs to be folded in to the broader channel mix. And I see a future where it may not matter so much that a a question has come in via social or email or text that that a lot of these channels have, have similarities and they should be triaged in a similar way and handled in a similar way. So then how do you take into consideration the fact that social is really the only channel that's public? I would say right now, the most amazing thing that I hadn't predicted is social is more private than public. The The emergence of social messaging platforms, the, the idea of dark social, where today more activity is happening in private one-on-one conversations in these social messaging platforms than it's happening in the public. I also look at the trends, you know, ever since we turned on Facebook Messenger, we've seen a big decline in customers going to our public Facebook page with a customer service question. They're going, they see that message, the messenger, and they go straight there. They get it. They know it. They don't, I actually don't think that I think there are some customers that that may have a, a desire to post publicly and Sometimes we'll even see, we'll do a messenger with a customer and we'll, we'll fix their problem. And they'll, then they'll go out and they'll post publicly like we, we, we were really happy. So they might do it in that or if a customer is really frustrated and they really want to, to share and vent to all of their network, we may see that. But I think a, the majority of customers actually prefer for customer service, the one-to-one messaging. 
So, Kimri, this is uh, this is right in my wheelhouse. I love love messaging and messenger and kind of what's happening there. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you guys are thinking about messenger and obviously not just you know that shift as you say from from public Facebook pages to messenger, but also looking at like some of the integrations that you need into say emails or your website to really start those conversations. Would love to kind of hear where you guys are on your journey. Sure. We turned on Messenger in earnest just earlier this year. And, you know, I have to say, I really feel like Facebook is setting the bar around what the, the future of social care is looking like with their their fit with their messenger. I do think that there's other messaging platforms we also need to be watching and, and possibly moving to. But with I'm especially interested in the, the chatbot enablement that Facebook has brought in. I think I think it's it holds a lot of promise because it's not just about automation. It's it's about automation in a, that in a way that customers may really like and value. But I also think it's really interesting because of the interplay between human and chatbot service. Because I really believe in in that human service is always going to be the best because that we have we can connect with each other. We can understand each other. But so I feel like if, if the chatbot can't answer a question or isn't the right tool, you can just put the human in there and you don't have to go between, you don't have to just go with the chatbot. Whereas I think prior, chatbots as a concept are not new. They've been around for decades, but they tend to be these standalone things. And if they didn't work, you kind of had this fail. And so I think that that's really interesting. I think the speed of response and the fact that they put out this badge around you know, the holy grail is being very responsive to messages with like a five minute average response time. I think it's just set a lot of standards that we all can, we need to aspire to. So, you know, in terms of where we are with building it out, I think we're going to be really focused on growing it. I, I, I see our customers using it and really liking it. I, I see it, its ability to go from, you know, if the customer wants to have a real time conversation, like a chat, you know, so long as we can be real time, we have a real time conversation. If they want to start or stop it, they're totally in control. It's so convenient. The conversation history, the fact that it's always there, the fact that there's just very little barrier to entry. If you think about 800 numbers before, you'd have to know what 800 number to call. Now you just have to look up Wells Fargo in Messenger and you could just start a conversation. It's it's that simple. So right now we're really thinking about how it fits into our broader customer service service strategy. I think that social messaging has everything that other digital text-based channels like chat and SMS and email have. I think it has everything they have and more. So I think it should be the vanguard of our virtual channel collaboration strategy. Amen, sister. Love it. That's the first time I've ever said amen, sister, on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I, I a little religious about it too. Amen. Right. So I have to I have to prod a little bit more into chatbots. So obviously that's the that's the natural extension. And I think even even ignoring chatbots, messaging is an exciting platform. But as you talked about with some of those automation and some of those human slash bot interactions that, that brands can now start working on, I think it's super exciting. Is there anything Wells Fargo doing that you're willing to talk about or or even just kind of philosophically? Yeah, we're we're currently working on do, building out a chatbot pilot. We're also working on a pilot to deliver alerts to customers. Right now, we SMS alerts. Like you know, you can set up a whole bunch of alerts about your account. If you you know if you're getting down to a low balance, we could send you an alert. 
we're going to start delivering those in Facebook Messenger. And with the chatbot, we've already done some chatbot work in our incubator. And we're now really looking to, to make sure that when we go out with a chatbot, for us, it's so important that it's a good one and that it's really meeting a customer need. And I, I will tell you, I do think there's going to be a lot of bad chatbots out there as companies want to, you know, let's see how it works. So for us, we're going to really look at use cases where the chatbot can truly deliver real value to the customer, not just you know, the, the fact that you can have a conversation with a robot. I don't think that's going to impress anyone. So, but I do think there's, there's a lot of interesting use cases. There's, I think the easiest use case is just the, the simple search use case where, you, you know, somebody asks a question like, where's the closest ATM to me right now? And if, you know, if you can see where their location is, you just deliver it in a millisecond. It's right around the block. And that's a great experience because the customer didn't need to, doesn't want to wait to, for a, an agent to go find that ATM. I also think that there's around transactions. I think the promise of the chatbot is, you know, we all have been hearing about this whole apathy where consumers, especially U.S. consumers, they're not spending time on lots of different apps. They spend most of their time on one or two apps. They're not downloading new apps. They don't want to go to all these different apps. So imagine if you can access the features of those apps in the chatbot whether you're making appointments or, you know, buying flowers for your mother, whatever that, that we're hearing about in the media. But for, you know, for banking, there's a lot of those use cases. Like I even think for myself, I have a babysitter that I use a lot and I'm always transferring money to her. And so it's not like I don't, I, this is like a first time money transfer. It happens all the time. So I imagine going to a chat bot on Facebook messenger and saying something like transfer $25 to Teresa. And maybe I forgot to say when, and so the chatbot replies back, uh, would you like to do that now or tomorrow? And I'd say now. And it would say, thank you very much. If I had done that now, before that, I would have had to go into the app. I would have had to find the page where the transfer was and fill all the, you know, pick from drop down menus about my recipient and, you know, entered all the stuff. There's like seven or eight or nine steps I would have had to go through when I could have just said this one thing in the chatbot. To me, that 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 could really deliver some value. So. We are looking at what the right use cases are, and we will have a chatbot pilot out in in the near term. In this quarter? No, probably not this quarter. I think I think I think I would like to say by the end of the year, but I'm not going to commit us to that because it's more important to me that we get it right than we just go and try to get some coverage about it. So, Kimra, you mentioned when you're talking about chatbots that there is a concern that there'll be bad ones. I would say I am on the side of being concerned that companies that are less scrupulous will use chatbots as a money-saving device, just a, a way to cut corners and cut costs, mm-hmm. which will create a bad experience. And, and my fear is, is that that will turn people off to them, even uh-huh. you know, and, and therefore they may never even try yours. Tell me what you think about that. And then, and then relatedly, walk me through what you kind of, I mean, you gave some examples of what the chatbot might be able to do, but walk me through what the experience is when I, or, or what you'd like it to be. When I come to Messenger, I want to talk to Wells Fargo. I ask a question. How do I know whether I'm getting the chatbot or the human? And how do I switch if I need to as a customer? Yeah, I would say, Amy, for us, 
I, when I think about chatbots, I don't look at this as some kind of money saving opportunity. You know, our goal is when we assess any new technology, our Mainly, we're trying to make things as convenient as possible for our customers. And if they they want, if we can deliver a service that they want that's really fast and that it doesn't need a human, then we then we want to make it easy and fast. But if they want to talk to a person, we want to make those people available to them because for our business, our business is built on relationships, and the people, our our bankers at Wells Fargo, are why we are as big as we are today. So we want to bring our people to the forefront. And I also look at social media. And I think the thing that's so cool about social, it is it is such a human place. It is all about human connections. And to just not take advantage of that just doesn't seem like the right thing for the business. So your question was really, you know, how do we make sure or how we want to make sure that people maybe don't get turned off by chatbots? I think people will have a lot of negative experiences with chatbots. I've already played with some that I, I wasn't overwhelmed by and I'm not going to go back to. But then the second part of your question was, can you repeat it? Because I, I, yeah, it was about the, cu- the customer experience of going through a oh, right. app on. Right, right, right. So I think it's really important that when you're, when the customer is talking to a chatbot that they know, I think that where the failure happens is when you try to pretend the chatbot is a human. I hate that. I think it's kind of like the uncanny valley where when you talk to these IVRs on the phone and it's a, a bot that's talking to you, but it's trying to be polite and it has like all this human inflection to it. Um, I find it, I don't like it. Um, I would, I would much prefer that it would just be much faster and more robotic and not pretend to be a human because you can't pretend to be a human when you're not a human. It just doesn't work. And I think humans are very sensitive to that. So I think the way, ideally the way we would structure it is if you asked a question, I would like for us to be smart and know which one to serve up. So if you ask the question of where is the nearest ATM to me, we would think in our logic, hey, that's a great question for the chatbot because the chatbot's going to be able to answer you in a millisecond and you're probably standing there in a corner trying to figure out where to go. And so when we deliver that answer, we need to have some way of indicating it to you that this is the chatbot responding. Now, let's say you didn't really want to ask that question. Maybe you wanted to tell us that we had some trash in front of the ATM and you really wanted somebody to be picking it up right now. And that just wasn't something our chatbot was equipped to hear. I would like for us to, if if the chatbot is not perfectly suited to the answer, to at that point have the human come right in. And if you were to ask if there's any emotion in your in your text and your language, I think that would always be straight to a human. I would like this to be so good that you don't ever need to ask for a human. I, I don't I don't want it to be, there to be a situation where you're like, this is can somebody just please give me a person? You know, at that point, I think we've gone. We failed. You've gone back um, to an IVR where we're trying yeah. to hit zero, right? Yeah. That's the problem with the IVR is the IVR is a wall that you need to scale to get to the human on the other side. And I think that the future should be that you have both easily accessible and there's nothing you have to scale to get over to the human if you want to get to the human. In fact, we're so smart, we know to give you the human at first, which is so fantastic. Or for other things like pay my babysitter $25, maybe it really doesn't bother me that it's not a human because I know it's going to process my my request and it's going to save me all this time that I previously had to do. So that's my ideal that I'd like to strive for. 
I think that's awesome. And you guys are thinking about this the right way and and really in an advanced way, I think. And it's great that you are taking the time to make sure the experience is right before you launch it. I agree with you that I think we kind of have a chance to make this really good. And, uh, you know, like with most things, if we disappoint customers, then, you know, they're not going to come back to it. So I think you guys are definitely thinking about it the right way. We are talking with Kimmery Matthews. She's the Senior VP of Social Care and Capabilities at Wells Fargo. And we've been having a great discussion about uh, really the future of both social care and customer service in general, what with chatbots and integrated CRMs and, and all that good stuff. Kimmery can be found on Twitter uh, at her name, which is K-I-M-A-R-I-E-M-A-T-T-H-E. E-W-S. And Wells Fargo can be found at Wells Fargo or their help handle is at ask underscore Wells Fargo. So Kimberly, we want to finish with the two questions that we like to ask everybody. And the first is just a fun one. If you could recount a memorable interaction with a customer in social media, the one that kind of just sticks out to you as being a, a great one or, or one that you would uh, cut out and paste on the bulletin board, or maybe one that you share with new employees. I have so many to pick from because the ones that are my favorite are when we have a customer who starts off, starts off unhappy and we turn it around. The story I'll tell is one that I think also highlights some of the the real benefits of social. So we had a customer who was unhappy. He he had some issues with his account where he had tried to deposit some money to avoid going into negative balance and he, he didn't time it right. And so he, it went negative and he was really frustrated. So we offered help and the situation with his account actually required us to go talk to another team which is something you can't quite, you know, do immediately, fix immediately. So we told him we would research it and we would take care of it and we would come back to him. And we did that. We went and talked to the other team and we came back a few hours later and told him that we'd fix the problem. And he said, thank you. And then he went and he, he tweeted something publicly that we had helped him and he was really happy. And, and you know, that in and of itself is great, but that's actually not the, like the real end of the story. The, the part that I think is gets into where it gets interesting is, so he said something like, you know, Wells Fargo cares about their customers. You know, thank you so much for solving my problem. So then we retweeted his tweet where we said, you made our day. And we retweeted his positive tweet. And you, th- you might think that it would be the end of the story. But no, he came back and he said, he retweeted everybody. No, no, you made my day. You know, He was going to have the last word. And the reason I think that this engagement is interesting is on the during the issue resolution part of the, the conversation, this was one of those situations where we needed to go and do a little research and we didn't have to make him wait on hold on the phone, wasting his time. We told him we would be able to get back to him and we we were as fast as we could in getting his issue resolved. But it really took advantage of that asynchronous nature of social where we could come back later and, and follow up. And he and he was really pleased. The other part I think is really interesting about social is if it was a phone conversation or, or even an in-person interaction it would have just ended with, you know, thank you very much. You, you solved my problem. I'm happy. But social has this whole other, you know, it has the conversation and then it has this whole layer above the conversation, the retweets, the likes, the shares. And I really look at those functions they, as they, they're, they are emotional reinforcements. They reinforce how we're feeling. And so if you think about the, la- the second part of that engagement where 
we retweeted his his tweet and he said comes back and says no no you made my day it really took the whole emotional level of that conversation to a higher level and i i would say that because of that you know the banker that was working on it felt really good about the interaction and i think that customer probably felt even better about their relationship with wells fargo because of that and i would like to think that he'll be a lifelong customer because of that moment so that's one of my favorite stories and Kimberly, the, the last question we always ask, uh, which I'm very excited to ask you, given your 2009 start in the space, is really around, you know, none of us really plan to work in social care when we grow old. It's a career that a lot of us kind of stumble into at various points and, and through various paths. So we always like to ask, if you could go back and talk to yourself in 2009, what do you wish you'd known then that you know now? What would have made your life a lot easier when you were getting started that you've learned through experience? That is a really tough question because there's obviously so much when I look back that I would have done differently with the knowledge that I have now. But on the other hand, realistically, the available information and the technologies that we had available at that time, they they were just as nascent. And so it's hard to say if I would have done something really different because the information wasn't there. If anything, I would say looking back, I think about what you had said, which is, you know, most of us have stumbled into social care. I was the thing I think would have really surprised me back then, because at that time I would work on something for a few years and then I would get kind of bored and I would move on to the next cool thing. I think I would have been surprised to hear that seven years later in 2016, that I personally would be as passionate about social care in 2016 as I was back there on the first day. And I would say I'm passionate for even maybe different reasons. I, I believe so much that the changes that are going on with social care and the rise of social messaging, I, I feel like we're on a precipice of change and, and transformation around how customer service works and in a way that is for the that is going to be better for the customer and for the agents. And so I just think, you know, I would have been surprised to think that this would I would consider this to be my life's work, but I do. I, I'm very excited about it. I feel like if Wells Fargo says that they want to be available for our customers when and how they need us, social media absolutely lives up to that. So I would just end on saying that for all of the listeners that are working in social care, I think we're working on something very important and transformative. I couldn't agree with you more, Kimberly. And, and frankly, that's why Dan and I started this podcast was because we were both passionate about it as well and uh, and really wanted to learn from other great brands like you in terms of, of what you're doing and, and how this is progressing. And, and the one thing I would add to your statement in terms of transformativeness is that you know, we've got the attention now of the major platforms and, and both Facebook and Twitter are pouring money into their platforms to to each. I mean, I've heard them each say that they want to be the customer service platform of choice. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's great. That's great for everybody, because as the platforms get better, even the companies that maybe aren't as good at customer service to start have a better shot of delivering good service over those platforms, which I think is beneficial to all of our customers because our customers are comparing us and setting their expectations based on what they see elsewhere. So I I really like that it steps up everybody's game. Well, thank you so much, Kimmery. This was really, really enjoyable. I, I certainly learned a lot from you and it's really, really clear that Wells Fargo and you specifically are a thought leader in this space. So we really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. 
Well, you are both thought leaders and thank you for bringing so much knowledge to all of us that are trying to work on social care through these podcasts. Well, and thank you listeners for sticking with us. We really appreciate it. This has been episode 39 of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. And as always, if you would like to recommend a brand for us to have on the podcast, please tweet at us using hashtag FOCS and we'll definitely reach out and try to get them on a future episode. For Dan Moriarty, this is Dan Gingas, and we'll see you next time on the Focus on Customer Service podcast. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingas and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.